gratitude our hearts and allow ourselves to step into his presence. So bring it out. All right, church, today is the day the Lord has made. Help me out. Yahweh. Sing it out. Yahweh. Holy is your name. I don't want to take it in vain. Yahweh.
darkness, but also the power to redeem, to restore, to pull us out of the darkness. Let's speak his name this morning. Let's speak this truth, church. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lamentations 3.
Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your love, and for your mercies each day. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Camriel Community Church. We're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're our guest. Who knows? Maybe you're watching online today because somebody in our church invited you to be a part with us, and we're just glad that you're checking us out. Hopefully one day you'll be on campus with us. For those of you who are outside, welcome. Those of you in the video uh, venue, welcome. And those of you in the building, welcome as well. We're glad you're here. I'll be afterwards outside on the patio uh, discussing with people how my Niners are going to kick butt tonight, and I'm sure you're going to want to tell me about your team and all that stuff. That'd be great. Uh, I did wear my 49er socks, but my wife said I'm not allowed to show you because it doesn't match my outfit. And so I will honor her. Uh, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We're glad you're here. And before we jump in today, I want to just say uh, we actually have a wonderful opportunity. It's a little bit of a problem, but with every problem, there's an opportunity. And that is this as we see young families kind of come to our church, we are seeing uh, bigger than uh, usual children in our children's ministry. And in our second hour, we actually have a huge need of some children worker volunteers for the second hour. Uh, our youth ministries meet in the second hour, and so some of those youth volunteers are not able to be a part, and we want them to enjoy their youth ministry. So we need some adult parent types who would be willing to come to church on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., and then serve second hour, 1045, with our children's ministry, K through third. How many of you guys remember, or when you think to yourself, uh, where did my faith begin? It all starts back at the first grade or second grade uh, teacher at church. And that kind of thing could be you when these children look back on their faith and they go, you know what, that's where I got established and I thank God for this one teacher who was there with me. Some of you guys are prolific with children and it's time to use those skills
couples with children here at our church. And so we're asking if you uh, feel like God's calling you to fill that opportunity, fill that need for us, come church on nine o'clock, go 1045 to serve there. That would help us a ton. Uh, so we don't have to turn children away and we don't have to turn families away from our church. We don't want to do that. So help us out with that. And if you want to, you'll get to know our new children's director. She'll be doing the video at the very end today. Uh, her name is Stam Stevenson. She's amazing. She's already been trying to, uh, probably been already knocking on your door asking you to help. And so uh, that's uh, something that we are excited about for the future of our church. So with that being said, I want you to think back to like, like the, the best advice you've ever received in your life. Like, can you pull back to your head maybe a moment where you received some really good advice in life? Who knows, maybe it was five years ago, maybe it was 25 years ago, but a time where you thought, man, that's really good advice. I remember mine, I was my first ever interview to go into ministry. I was about 18, I think I was 19 years old at the time. I was at a church and I wanted to become the middle school ministry intern. It's a rather large church. There was four middle school ministry interns. There was a middle school pastor. We also had a, 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 um, an assistant that would help all three youth ministries, college, junior high, and high school. And uh, I had gone to this interview process with the middle school pastor to see if I could assist him in middle school ministries. And uh, we went through that and he said, I think you're the man for the job, but I need to also have this other meeting with our executive pastor to kind of meet you, have lunch, and have that last kind of, kind of stamp of approval. And so we went to that meeting. I remember going to lunch together. And I'll never forget this guy. This guy's name was Pastor Matt. He was like an OG pastor. Now, I realize OG means original gangster, but where I grew up, OG just meant like faithful to the bone, like, like you know, old school mentality. And this guy was like old school mentality pastor. You know what I mean? OG pastor to the bone. And he sits down and he's going through all these things. And he goes, oh, yeah, you look like you might... Worked great for our middle school ministry. And then he gave me three pieces of advice that I thought were really good pieces of advice. Advice that I might give to anybody today, advice that I've tried to live out for 20 some odd years later. He said, you know, uh, David, if you can keep your pants zipped, you might be able to use for the kingdom of God. He said, if you can keep your hand out of the cash register or the cookie jar, you might make a good pastor. And if you can keep your ego in this stratosphere, it might not pop all over God's reputation. And I'll never forget that day. This guy's just, just selling it like it is right there. I'm 19 years old. So let me give you three pieces of advice. And, and obviously, as we look at the landscape, it seems like the more prominent the pastor, the more prominent the failure and the sexual impropriety that is around that. He's just saying, if you could stay away from that, that'd be really good. Uh, thankfully, 25 years, I'm not a perfect man, but I've never touched another woman inappropriately who's not my wife. He said, if you could keep your hand out of the cash register or the cookie jar, you just might make a good pastor. I've joked around here often that I can go to the bank that we bank with and they wouldn't know who I am. Uh, they don't know, uh, my signature means nothing. I wouldn't even know how to embezzle. But the idea was there were so many scandals of embezzlement of pastors wooing you in your heart and your soul and then taking your money and using it for themselves. I don't have access to the program that allows me to see what you guys give. I don't, I don't know where that program is. I don't have the credentials. I can't get in there. I wouldn't even know how to embezzle. I'd have to take a class on how to embezzle before I could embezzle. But those are safety measures that are placed in, placed by our elders and our team to make sure that I just don't even have access to that. Then he said, if you can keep your ego in the stratosphere, you might be able to make it without popping all over God's reputation. And the idea is there's a third way that pastors fall. It's, it's when their ego gets so big, their head gets so big that it pops. 
the man who they were when they began ministry to after they received some success are different people. They don't recognize them anymore. There's a reason why I'm not one of those people who's hoping that one day I'll be a nationally recognized speaker. I don't need that. I'm not hoping that one day somebody will download my message 25,000 times after I preach it. I don't need that. I'm not looking to write a book. I'm just not like trying to be, if I could just write a book and become famous, I don't need that. I'd love to see our church grow. I'd love to be able to see us do things for the kingdom of God. But I'm scared of the ego. Not even because in and of myself I have ego issues. I don't think that's the case. But I've seen too many other guys fall as their ego grows. This is why I love getting involved with church planners because we give them $20,000, $40,000, $60,000, whatever it might be. And if that church grows and it's on him before his God to work with us with that ego, it'll never come back to me like, look what you did, David. No, we just gave to someone else. There's part of me that enjoys that because it can't come back and affect my ego. Some 25 years later, I would say that was great advice. Great pieces of advice. And I share that this morning because today we're going to look at God's advice for anyone who would desire to serve him in ministry. Like there may be some in the room right now thinking, man, maybe, maybe God will use me in this way in the future. Maybe I'm considering a calling. Or maybe I considered a calling in the past and it wasn't my path, but I remember those feelings. There may be somebody in here even thinking, what about the second half of my life, the second career or calling of the future? Maybe that's what God has for me. But regardless, all of us are going to get a front row seat and a look behind the curtain on what us pastor types deal with all the time as we consider God's advice for us on our ministry. And you're going to see how it affects us in the way we do things. Like, if that's his, his advice, then how should we be leading in the church that we're at? If God were to come down from heaven and instruct leadership of a church on how to navigate, what would he say? What would be his prescribed methodology? And how would he suggests handling the diversity of opinions in the church. How would he advise moving forward? And what if not everybody agrees with that advice? What is God's preferred approach? And what if it flies in the face of what people want? For that, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. If you brought a Bible today, please open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4. We'll take up some verses in chapter 3. We'll also go into some verses in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love it when people bring their Bibles to church. I always tell people all the time when they're packing Bibles, man, I love that you're packing. And I don't mean like, you know, weapons. I mean the Word of God, the sword, right? And so, I, and many of us have it on our phone, and I get it. And if you're online right now, open it up another window. But make sure that you're there with us so you're not just, just believing what we say, but actually reading the Word and making sure that it says exactly what we say it says. The overarching question today is what kind of advice would God give to any pastor serving him in ministry? And, and that's really the best advice in the world. What kind of advice would God give to any pastor serving in ministry? What kind of advice would God give to any church leadership board? What kind of advice would God give as far as if you're going to lead, lead the entity that brings people to me, here's how I would advise you. And we're going to see the very first thing is he's going to say, stick to the sacred scriptures. Stick to the sacred scriptures. There's something sacred about this book. There's something uh, um, otherworldly about this book. This is God's word. Stick to it. Don't veer off from it. Stay right there. Let's look together. In 2, Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 14, it says this. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is what? Breathe out from God or by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and the training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What kind of advice would God give any pastor serving in ministry? Well, it's very much like Paul's advice to Timothy, stick to the sacred scriptures. Stay with this thing. Say what it says. Don't veer off from it. You may be smart, but you're not cute enough to be better than this thing. Just say what this says and deliver this to the people. It'll equip you for every good work in ministry. Stay, stick, stick with the sacred scriptures. The exhortation to remain is an imperative. I've mentioned this before, but in Greek, or in Koine Greek, the original language of the scriptures, there's a way to differentiate the verbs, and it's the way you write the verb. In English, we have to surmise it through context. Clean your room. Well, was that a suggestion, or was that an imperative? Clean your room. It's an imperative. All right, we do it by voice. In Greek, it's in the word. It tells you, I'm a verb, I'm, I'm, I'm this type of verb, I'm that type of verb, I'm a past tense verb, future, all written in the tense, and this is an imperative. I'm commanding you, remain faithful to the word of God. Remain, it's the idea to be constant, to be continual. And then he gives two reasons, two grounds for why you're to do this. Why should you stick to the scriptures? I'll give you two reasons. The first one is because you're familiar with it. We saw this. You've learned this. You know. You, you become, become convinced of it. You know it came through faithful people who delivered it to you. And it's illuminated your heart unto salvation. You, you've become convinced. Remember when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ? You became, man, this thing, it's like, it's like life. I, I mean, it's like drinking water to live. And you're reading every section. You believe it wholeheartedly. And then you think about the people that brought it to you and how they've studied it and how they believe it with their whole hearts. And then you think about, oh my gosh, God used this book to illuminate my heart and, and it opened up my eyes to need God. Of course I believe it. Of course I remain close to it. Because this is the very book that changed my whole life. And yet if you're not careful and you don't revere it and you don't guard it, it could be like a, a relationship gone sour after 20 years. It started off so well and then and we just kind of walked away from it and it just lost its flavor, it's lost its zeal. Stick to the sacred scriptures. Remain faithful to the word. Be constant and continual. This is Paul saying don't forget it. Keep close to it. Stay constant. Be faithful to the word. It brought about so much impact to you at the beginning. Let it continue to impact you as you continue working on your life. So reason number two. Why would you stick to it? Why would you remain constant in it? Well, because of its origin. Let's go back to verse 16 where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Well, why, why would I stay constant? Well, because of its origins. It's God breathed. Like literally God breathed it out. He breathed out, and here comes the words of Scripture. It's inspired by God is 
the idea, superintended by the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Godhead, who oversaw all the biblical writers, making sure that they said nothing shy of what God wanted them to say. Guarding it, making sure that every cross of the T and dot of the I was correct. We come to a place in what we understand is the doctrine of the scriptures. You can write this down if you're taking notes. In fact, if you're in a growth group, it might be a good place to take some notes. We come to the idea that the scriptures are infallible. Infallible. The idea is that they are without fault. Fallible, fault. Infallible, no fault. There are no fault in the scripture. There, as it relates to spiritual matters, it is trustworthy, it is reliable. There's no fault, fault in this. It's infallible. Secondly, it's inerrant. Not only is it a trustworthy as it relates to everything in the spiritual matter, it is without errants, inerrant, no errors, inerrant, without errors, completely accurate in everything it speaks to. When the Bible speaks about science, it's correct. When the Bible speaks about geography, it's correct. Whatever it speaks to, it is correct. There's no errors. And this just makes sense. If God's going to be the author and breathe out these words, doesn't it make sense that it must be consistent? Doesn't it make sense that it has to be 100% accurate? If it's not accurate, then it's not God's word. And so we believe as a doctrine of the scriptures in its original manuscripts that the Bible is infallible and inerrant in what it speaks to. It's the very words of God. He says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Teaching, giving instruction, it's useful, it's profitable to, to instruct people in their lives. It is useful, profitable in rebuking. That is refuting error, rebuking sin, telling you that you're gone the wrong way. You're supposed to be going this way, that's God's best way, but you think your way's better. And so sometimes the scriptures rebuke us and tell us that's the wrong direction. Correcting, it's the idea of setting someone straight to help somebody up to their feet. It can correct things as well in your life. Training in righteousness. Uh, it's another, uh, another idea can be used in, in like child rearing. Uh, just like you child reared your child to, to raise them up to adulthood, hopefully not needing you anymore once they become an adult. So the scriptures raise you up out of child, infantile faith, spiritual issues into a maturity in the faith. That's what the scriptures do. They teach, they rebuke, they correct, they train in righteousness. And what's the purpose, according to verse 17? To equip the man for every good work. Paul's telling Timothy, you're like my understudy, you're a young man. What would I tell you? Stick with the word of God, stick with the scriptures. It will equip you for every good work. And the idea behind that is having a fully furnished, completely outfitted rescue boat. So that if you are... I forget what that uh, military one is with a, that Zach was in, what's it called? Coast Guard. So if you're in the Coast Guard, you're ready for any emergency. That was not, I didn't even mean that. Like, I promise you, I promise you I didn't mean to do that. It was there, that, anyway, it's not on the notes. Um, <laughs> sorry, Zach, I love you. I love you. You deserve it. <laughs> Prepared for any emergency. That's what the Word of God does. Any emergency in life. 
This is why we take the word of God, and if you go on our website, you'll see a picture of me holding it like this. We take the word of God, we put it up here in our lives, and symbolically we place ourselves underneath it. Now when I do that, doesn't mean that we are 100% good at it. No, sometimes we stink at it, but the idea is in our hearts, we put it up here, and even I'm right here, but you know, sometimes I wrestle, but sure, I'm going to put this higher in my life. I'm going to make it a higher priority in my life. When it challenges me, I'm not going to fight it, I'm going to embrace it. When I find myself in a pinch, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like say, forget you, God, I'm going to turn to it for guidance. We hold it up high in our lives. It doesn't become a book that I, you know, might refer to. It becomes the book that I refer to in my life. It is the very highest priority in my life. And you know, it's interesting, depending on where somebody comes and what background they're from, this book can take, take on several different kind of impressions in your life. Some people view the book as just ancient literature, uh, a, a, a line or a connection to the past, even having like an affinity towards it, like, a, like, like Chinese proverbs or ancient wisdoms or kernels of, of, of century-old truths. It can even be nostalgic, like you take this book and you put it in your house and you're hoping that like the force field around it blesses your home or, or you take this book and you put it on the table and that table's blessed or, or you take, and wherever it goes, it's ha- it has like a, a blessing associated with it. We don't actually read the thing, we're just hoping that the force field around it affects the things around our lives, like a nostalgic to it. It's nostalgic kind of a feeling towards the book. Other people view it and just think of it as a mystical or fictional literature. Not unlike something you'd read like Harry Potter or something. It's something um, to be read for entertainment, not something you live by. Then there's other people who revered this book to the point that they would elevate it higher than any other book that's ever been written. It's almost as though when they interact with this book, they feel like they're interacting with God himself. It becomes the center of their life. They watch how every T is crossed and how every I is dotted to see if they can pull some kernel of spiritual truth out of it. Let me ask you a question. Of those three, which one is you? Like, how do you view the scriptures in your life? Where do you place the scriptures in priority of your life? Again, just because I say we put it up here doesn't mean we're perfect at it, but it does mean we place it on this pedestal and try to live by it. Where are you in that? Is it just fictional literature? Is it just a nostalgia to it? Connection to the past? Ancient past? Or is it the very word of God that's meant to change and radically transform your life? Well, it seems appropriate that we would deal with this idea that it's an outdated book and it's old-fashioned. It's just ancient literature. Maybe it's a nostalgic thing. It's, it's, it's mythical literature. We'll deal with that. What kind of advice would God give to any pastor serving him in ministry? Number one, as we saw, stick to the sacred scriptures. And number two, kind of like it, preach it even when no one wants to listen. Preach even when no one wants to listen. Stick to the scriptures. And then, by the way, even if everybody doesn't want to listen anymore, still preach it. Now, Again, this is advice given to pastors, so this is re, almost like if I was in a seminary setting, it'd be a great place to preach this message, but you guys can now enter into my heart and see what I'm dealing with and the expectations as I look at God evaluating what I'm doing. Preach it even when no one wants to listen. Let's look at that in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll just look at verses 1 through 5 together. Preach even when no one wants to listen. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Jesus Christ, 
who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead. By the way, I'm giving you this charge, this exhortation on the name of Jesus who will judge you. And by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure what? But having their, having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teacher to suit their own passions. They'll find somebody to tell them what they want to hear. And will turn away from what? Listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, you always be sober-minded, endure hardship, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, even if they won't listen. Keep on telling them about the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. What kind of advice would God give to any pastor serving him in ministry? Preach the word, preach the gospel, preach, proclaim, herald, even when no one wants to listen preach. Now, I need to almost do like a little bit of a public apology because I think I got some feedback from last week's message that it kind of sounded like what I was saying was, if you don't like the way we do church, there's the door. That's not exactly what, certainly not what my heart meant. It was more in line with what we're talking about today. We're going to preach the Bible. And if somebody has a difficult time with that, we're not changing. Why? Because the Word of God says not to change that. We preach the Scriptures. We preach the Gospel. Even if no one wants to listen, you keep on doing it. That's what he says. It's an exhortation. Preach the word. Again, it's an imperative. I adjure you. I solemnly charge you. I give an extreme urging or exhortation. It's almost like a technical uh, term for taking an oath. Take an oath to preach the gospel, even if no one will listen. Take an oath to preach the word of God, to keep sticking with the sacred scriptures, even if no one comes Even if nobody will listen to you, if nobody will be converted, you take an oath to continue to do it. Why? Because there's a day coming when Jesus will be the one who will judge you for what you did. Now think of that. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by the way, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Whatever was useful about the scriptures in chapter 3, Paul now says the pastors to do it. It was useful for correction. It was useful for rebuking. It was useful for exhorting. Now, pastor, your job is to rebuke, correct, and exhort. Think of that. People will often ask, hey, pastor, how do we pray for you? Pray that I will step up to the calling that is before me, that I will do my assignment. Because sometimes caring for people's souls means you have to tell them something they don't want to hear. And believe it or not, a lot of pastor types like myself, we're good at being people pleasers. That's why we're good on the stage. We're good at wooing the room. We're good at making people laugh and be happy. We're good at making people cry. We're good at making people feel it. We're good at sensing the room. Can you imagine that guy on the stage going, oh, this is a message that nobody wants to hear. Like six weeks of a giving series that we just went through. Am I going to preach what they want to hear or am I going to preach your word? Am I going to give them what they want to hear and just make them feel happy all the time? Or am I going to be faithful to your word because one day you're going to evaluate what I'm doing. 
You're the judge of the living and the dead. It's your gospel, it's your Bible, it's your kingdom, your, you're the one who invented this whole religious thing. Am I gonna tell you that you know, that I know better than you and how to do this? Am I gonna give in? Or am I gonna say the truth? Now there are people who will gravitate to that and go, I love it. They're gonna say what it is, what it says, and that's my church. And there are some people who are gonna go, I don't want that. I wanna be encouraged on Sundays, and I just want, I wanna go to a church that values just me leaving happy every week. I, I just can't, I, I just can't, if the word of God is challenging, then I feel like I have to be challenging. I don't think I'm being faithful to the text if I don't do that. It's not like I'm hoping that you leave discouraged. Please don't leave discouraged. I was a part of a church years back where we were encouraged to be challenged. We leave going, man, that was challenging. God, gosh, God wrecked me on that one. That's awesome, and that's why I came, because I want to grow in my faith. I don't just want to be told that everything's fine. I want to move forward. Well, the inference is if the Bible is useful, then use it. He's telling Timothy, it is useful, now use it. And I'll tell you how, five imperatives. Now these are very interesting. We'll go a little deeper in grammar here because I think it's important. Uh, these are imperatives written in the aorist tense. The aorist tense in biblical Greek is the past tense. So these are commands written in the past tense. That almost doesn't make sense. How can I command you to do something if it's written in the past? It was the most emphatic way of writing something, and the biblical writers do this all the time. The most emphatic way of writing something as if it's already done. I'm going to command you to do it, and I'm so sure that it needs to be done that I'm going to write it as if it is done. So every imperative here, these five imperatives are all in the past tense. Preach the word. Preach the word. He's saying, I want you to preach it. It's an, a command, but I'm so certain that it needs to happen. I'm going to write it in the past tense. Preach the word. Strongest way, most emphatic way to write a command. Be prepared. Be ready. Stand your military post is the idea. Remain on duty in season and out of season, whether it's a timely opportunistic time, whether the fruit is ripe or untimely, not opportunistic time, and the fruit is not ripe. Think like a farmer. When would I harvest well, obviously, when it's fruiting, it's ready. And here God's saying, whether it's fruiting or not fruiting, you preach the word. Whether it's the right season or the wrong season, whether people are amiable to what you're saying or whether they're not amiable to what they're saying, you preach the word. Stand your military post. You correct, you reprove, you expose, you rebuke another imperative. You exhort. And I love this, with patience. Did you see that? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching according to verse two. I love this because I went to seminary with a lot of guys who love the word of God and are ready to swing for the fences. Every, come, come to my church, I'll knock you out. You know, type, type of thing. And, and wait, 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 hey. Don't forget the patience piece. Don't forget the love piece, the grace piece. Yes, this is a truth lover's passage for sure, but there's a qualifier here. Be patient with everybody. Be loving with everybody. Be gracious with everybody. Be merciful with everybody. A pastor shouldn't be like a guy who's, who loves being a prosecuting attorney who loves putting people in jail. No, 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 no. Think of Jonah in the Old Testament. I know my assignment. God, I'm supposed to go to Nineveh and preach that they repent, but I'm not going to go because if I preach they repent and then they do repent, you'll forgive them. And I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to kill them all. So I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do it. That cannot be the heart of a pastor. 
Yes, we love the word of God, we represent the word of God, but we meet people where they're at, in grace, in love, in mercy, acting as if there was a day we needed a mercy ourselves. In fact, that day might still be today. We meet people where they're at. He shares five imperatives, and then he gives the ground for those imperatives. Why must you be prepared in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching? Why? Because verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching and having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions. They'll find somebody else. They'll leave your church and go to another church where they don't preach the truth. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Literally, the idea is they will not tolerate truth any longer. They'll find teachers to suit what they want to hear. They'll find somebody to soothe their tickling ears. You ever been to a comedy show? Why do you go? Because you want to laugh. You want them to make you laugh. So I just want to go to a place where I can feel encouraged and whatnot, and I can find a teacher who does. You can find that online, too. I can't be the guy who just amuses you. Sorry, I'm not built that way. Why? Because I'm a teacher, and the Word of God says I'm supposed to represent His Word. Now, I hope there more times than not, you leave encouraged that God is using me in your life, and you're growing your faith, but there are going to be some times where we all will leave going, wow, I have some growth to do, and that's good. Embrace that. Don't make it a negative thing. Make it a positive thing. That's how we grow. Everybody has a, been on a sports team. You've had a coach who's mandated that you do things a certain way, and you've been better for it. Let the word of God be your coach. Let it be your guide. Don't fall into that trap of, I'm just going to find somebody who will tickle my ears. Embrace the person who will tell you the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, for they tell you the truth. It says they'll literally turn to nonsense. Rather than turning to the truth, They'll turn to nonsense and myths. And I think of like the things that our culture and society believes today. Like we're getting pretty close to the day where if somebody were in our society and culture were to identify as a tree, like we might have to be expected to apologize for using paper. The insanity of some of these things. The nonsensicalness of some of these things. I reject the word of God by embrace that. And he's saying that's not only what's happening in society, it's creeping into the church. I don't, I'm not going to put up with the teaching of the word. I'm going to go somewhere else where they'll tickle my ears and make me feel good about myself. It literally will not tolerate truth. It becomes nonsense to them, and they'd rather believe in nonsense than that. Guys, my goal is not that every week I come on the stage that you would leave being discouraged. It's not. It really isn't. But my goal also isn't that every week I come that you'd leave going, hey, my life is not living congruent with Christ, but that's okay, it's all good. There's something wrong with that. My job is to help people and steer them in the right direction. As a person who's fallible myself, saying let's run towards the word of God and not excuse our behaviors when they don't measure up to the word of God. I can't become a tickling ears teacher because there's this passage. And by the way, you don't want me to become that anyway. I'll prove it to you. Going through a series, we're going through our values, and 
What if this value of, of taking the scriptures and placing it up high, what if all teachers did that and what if everybody followed? What would happen in society today? Well, I'll tell you what would happen. There wouldn't be teen pregnancy because nobody would be having sex before marriage. There wouldn't be STDs because you'd only have one partner. There wouldn't be divorce because everybody's following the word of God. There wouldn't be single, single parent uh, baby mama drama, baby daddy issues, none of that. There would be no prisons, no need for prisons because there would be nobody who's raping, murdering, or, or serial killing because the word of God says not to do that. It would be the end of our litigious culture because nobody would be greedy. You don't want somebody to tickle your ears. You want the truth. And we want to see the truth permeate not only our church, but this world. Because that's a beautiful utopian place. It's an amazing place. And that's why and big idea, our big idea today is that we will be a church that is unapologetic about biblical truth while extending the grace and mercy of God. We'll be a church that will be unapologetic about biblical truth while extending the grace and mercy of God. We still got to be loving in the process. We will love you where you're at, wherever you're at. We'll meet you there and we'll say, let's go together on this journey and see how God can transform you from the inside out. We will be unapologetic about biblical truth. We'll say, this is the word of God. We place it up here. Whatever it says, we're going to say. We're not going to skip passages. We're not going to skip verses. We're not going to just focus on the positive things. I'm not the guy that sits here and goes, how can I spin everything positive? If it is challenging, I will be challenging while extending the grace and mercy of God along the way. It's the argument of the passage. The word of God is useful, so use it. The word of God is useful, so use it. And you know what? It's useful in the craziest of situations. When I first got into ministry, I told you about Pastor Mack at the Church of Rocky Peak. Then years later, I went off to finish college, finish seminary, and went off to um, Northern California. Uh, San Francisco Bay Area, where I grew up, and I pastored the church there for 10 years as a middle school pastor. And uh, uh, my mom had just passed away. She left us a little bit of inheritance, so we bought a condo. Um, couldn't buy my wife a house. It's just way too expensive. And so I said, well, let's buy a condo, but let's make it yours, hon. So we painted it. We do all kinds of things to it and make it look really nice and, you know, carpet, all this stuff. But there was a guy in our church named Steve. I won't give you his last name. You'll never meet him, but he's a really cool guy. He, he would, that's what he would do for a living. He would just go places and he would just fix stuff for people. And so he's doing all this stuff in our condo, making it beautiful. And of course, uh, you know, my wife and I are, you know, newly married about three years or so. We have a daughter. Audrey is about six months, two years old, and, you know, still in the baby carriage kind of, you know, thing. And Steve just loved babies. He'd be like, can I, can I hold her? I'm like, sure, Steve, you know, I trust you with my daughter. I trust you with my life, man. And then he'd hold her and he'd just go like this. And he just loved babies. So every time he'd come over, he'd always take like 15 minutes. If I ever visited to see the progress of everything, he'd take 15 minutes and just hold Audrey for a little while. And, uh, and it's just a really cool guy, really devoted to our church, worked, at, you know, did uh, evangelism ministries in our church, was just a devout Christian, good man. Like everybody in the church would trust him. And I remember I go, Steve, as he's holding my baby, I go, Steve, I, I've heard these stories about you like 20 years ago. Like you were like the don't mess around dude. Like you don't mess with this dude. And he's like, yeah. I go, like I've heard stories about like kids who are kids running around the street. If they saw you come up on your motorcycle, they would run to their houses and lock their doors. Is that true, Steve? He's like, yeah. I go, Steve. Um, I hate to pry, you certainly don't have to go into this for me, but you want to tell me more about that? It's like, well, you know, day before I knew Christ, I, I got wrapped up in the biker gang stuff, and you know, you know, these biker gangs, they have their arrangements, you know, and uh, 
Sometimes these arrangements go sideways and people aren't paying up the way they're supposed to be paying up. And so they'd send me in there and I'd, I'd make sure they got paid. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so how did that work? Well, you know, I'd go there and I'd break fingers and knuckles and hands and wrists and ankles and kneecaps, you know, uh, whatever it took to get them to pay back. I'm like, give me back my baby. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm like in this, com- wow, that was you? And yet I know you, but that was you. But I know you. Like, I'm trying to figure this thing out. And, you know, I just do it just so they can get paid. You know, they need to get paid. Of course, of course, you got to get paid. Uh, you got to get paid. I said, well, what, what happened to finally turn you around? Like, how did you turn around? And he goes, you know, I broke a lot of things. But, you know, there was one time where they wanted somebody dead. They came to me and said, you know, you've broken a lot of things and you've gotten this payment, but this person we just want dead. And he says, Pastor, that was my line, man. I mean, I'll break anything you got in your body, but I will not kill anybody. I went, of course. I mean, the moral line is definitely, not, it's not knuckles and ankles and, and kneecaps. It's killing somebody so very clearly. I mean, everybody on the streets knows that. Uh, I remember asking, like, how do you go from that dude to being the most gentlest, kindest, sweet, prayer-filled, Bible-talking believer. Like he went from that guy to being such an upright man. And he said, Pastor, you know that, you know that book you study every week? Yeah. You know that book that represents God? Yeah. I know that book, Steve. So that book changed my life. I started reading it, couldn't get enough of it. It changed me from the inside out when I started taking this book and putting it above here in my life and placing myself underneath. Because that's the story. God came into my life and radically turned me around to where I would never do anything like that, to where you could trust me to hold your baby daughter and know that I would do nothing to hurt her. The word of God changes people. And we will be unapologetic about biblical truth because we believe that. While extending grace and mercy of God along the way, we will be unapologetic about biblical truth. Why? Because it works. We won't apologize for what it says. And we will extend grace and mercy and love of God because we all have who I once was stories. We'll meet people where they're at. We won't condemn them for where they're at. We'll say, you're right here, great. Let's go together and let's walk towards Jesus. I've been there too. I'm just a little further along than you. You won't feel condemned, but we will tell you the truth. You know what I love about that story? It communicates that there's no one too far gone for the gospel. I wish I could introduce you to Steve. He's still alive today, still loves the Lord today, still serves Christ today. He's an amazing man. And I say that because some of you in the room feel like, no, I'm too far gone. God doesn't want anything to do with me. He can't use me. He can't turn me around. I've done too many things. I'm spoiled goods. It's not true. I'm filthy rags. That's right. And he trades it in for the righteousness of Christ. He can take your sin, place it on the cross, die for it, resurrect. And in that resurrection, you are resurrected as well. And you can live to new life. And he can change you into where your own family go. I don't recognize you. I can't understand these two stories. They're polar opposites. How does that happen? The Word of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, changes people from the inside out and transforms them. It can happen to you. It can happen to you.
It's all about submitting to the Lordship of Christ. I say, you're Lord, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. I'm unworthy, you are worthy. And if you will allow me to approach you, God, based on the work of Christ on the cross, I'm all in. That's your place. Bow your heads, close your eyes together. Father, would you help us to be the embodiment of what your word says here, that we would be both supremely confident in your word, supremely confident that you can change people from the inside, supremely confident that we don't have to go to the latest methodology and do things this way. We can just preach your word. You've been doing it for 2,000 years. You'll continue to do it. Help us have faith in that and yet compassion for the individual, mercy for the individual, love for the individual. I understand that the, the first half of life has been horrible and you feel like you deserve nothing. And that God wouldn't want nothing to do with you, but we can meet you there because Christ said, I died for all that stuff on the cross. And we can meet you there with mercy and love, but we will tell you the truth. That is sin, and you need a Savior. But the Savior can forgive you of all your sin. Help us be a church that embodies that as our supremest of values. We will be unapologetic about biblical truth and love people in grace and mercy of Christ along the way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have some special things going on today. I'm gonna to ask somebody particular to come on the center stage with me. You guys all know her as Sarah. Uh, Sarah was, uh, you know, on our staff team for a good period, a couple years, uh, as our preschool, not preschool, our, our K through third director. Uh, we have now recently transitioned that to Sam Stevenson, but I wanted to put you on the stage. This is her last weekend here. There's some exciting stuff going on that you guys need to know about. Please tell everybody what's going on in your life. Um, so on Tuesday, I am heading over to uh, Perth, Australia to serve with YWAM. Um, so I'll be doing a program learning how to train with midwives and serve in the mission field that way. So how long? Yes. How long will you be gone? So I'll be gone. Um, my first commitment is a year, and I'll be in Australia for the first four months, and then they'll send us um, on outreach to different locations around the world after that. And that's the part that I really want to get to, because the second half, the Australia part for training is one thing. Where the Lord is taking you is a place that we all need to be sensitive for in, in the sense of praying for you. Would you please share a little bit, as much as you can, on what you're going to be doing and why it's so sensitive in nature? Yeah, I get really excited about this part because the focus of our program is to reach women in Islam. And the only time a Muslim woman is alone after she's married is when she's giving birth, when she's in labor. And so we see it as the perfect opportunity to step in as a midwife, but then as a, like, a missionary to share the gospel with them um, in a way that no other person can. It's a really unique context. So they'll send us, we won't know exactly where, um, we can't share too many details, but the Middle East, um, Southeast Asia, wherever, there are a lot of pregnant Muslim women. <laughs> How awesome is that? It's, uh... Well, before you make me cry, we will be praying for you. You are like a daughter of our church, and we will be with you. Please, before you leave today, give her a hug on the patio. Ask her how she's doing on her support if you want to help. And let's, uh, let's keep her in our prayers. How beautiful is that? We want to get in the room where no other women will ever be able to talk to these women and tell them about Jesus Christ. Everybody put your hands on here. And uh, yeah, I'll have Frank Frey. Let's put our hands. Would you extend a hand forward if you agree? And we'll just pray for her and send her as a daughter of our church. Trust in the Lord will protect her, Frank. 
Dear Lord, uh, there's no better heart than uh, the heart that Sarah has for you. We know that she trusts you. She's in your word, just like David talked about today. Pastor David mentioned, be in the word. He holds it high. I know Sarah does the same. She has such a heart for you, Jesus. Any conversation really if around her will ultimately come to you. And uh, she's going to go far away, Lord, but she'll be close to our hearts uh, during this trip. I pray over her now, but uh, I ask that everyone here will continue to pray for her on her journey because uh, she's all about you, Lord. Uh, she's your hands and feet, and she, as she goes out, I just pray that she has safe travels and that uh, she can impact this world wherever she goes. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Get off my stage. <laughs> okay, if you're here with us today and you don't know Jesus, and um, we're talking a lot about the Bible. Maybe you don't have a Bible. I just want to know we're here with you on your spiritual journey. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. Uh, you can go to the welcome counter in the lobby on your way out, and there's people there ready to help, and they could uh, get your, your very first Bible. We'd love to be part of that. And if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, they can help you along in that journey as well. If you're joining us online, go to campcc.net, click on Next Steps. There's a form you can fill out. Let, just tell us you want a Bible. We'll mail you one if you're not from around here. Uh, if you have questions, um, we can answer those for you as well. All right, we're going to receive the offering. We're going to worship God by doing this. Uh, we want to be faithful to what the scriptures ask us to do in giving. Um, and this is one of the ways we're saying, God, you're number one in our life in all things. Um, there's three ways to participate. You can um, give online at campcc.net. Click on give at the top of the page. Text the amount you want to donate to 84321. Or we have an offering box in the lobby where you can drop something on the way out if you wish. But before we go, let's check out what's coming up next at Camp CC. Camp CC, I'm Sam Stevenson, the new K-3 director. I love getting to know your kiddos on Sunday mornings. If you have an interest in serving in the K-3 ministry, you can shoot me an email at sam at campcc.net. That's enough about me. I want to talk about you. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some amazing gifts for you to thank you for being here with us. You can head on over to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card. If you're watching online, we want to hear from you too. Go to campcc.net slash next steps and we will hook you up. I am so excited about the welcome project, our new initiative that kicks off Sunday, October 30th and continues through November 6th, 13th and 20th. October 21st through 23rd, men's retreat. Wives, nudge your husbands and encourage them to attend this weekend retreat in beautiful Malibu Canyon. Come on guys, how sweet is that? Check out the men's table on the patio for more information or email jimmoyer at camcc.net to sign up. It's coming up fast. October 21st, middle school Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. Check this out. Different teams, different colors, competing against each other. It sounds intense. It is intense, but it's very exciting. Get ready to nerf it up. You can sign up at camcc.net slash nerf war. Bring $10 and you're own done. Need more information? Contact Jacob at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, 
like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. All right, guys, would you stand with me for the send-off? I love our church. I love the fact that our foundation is built on Christ, and we recognize that we have to live out what he's commanded us to do through his word. Um, I think there's no better place to grow than surrounded by people who are committed um, to being transformed by the word of God. So um, if it's your first, second, or third time here, go to the welcome counter to get the gifts that we have for you. We'd love to get to know you a little bit and invite someone to join you right here next week and learn some unapologetic biblical truth. Um, join us outside on the patio for a donut and coffee, and we'll see you next week.